Hello, and welcome to the USERV Spotlight Podcast, a podcast series by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each episode, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Hi, and welcome to USURF Spotlight. I'm Jamie Staley, Supervisory Policy Advisor, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Today, we'll be discussing religious freedom in India, specifically the recent and ongoing violence in Manipur state. The two main groups in Manipur are the Meitei, who are the majority Hindu population, and the Kuki, who are predominantly Christian. Violence initially broke out on May 3rd after protests were held on whether or not to allow the Meitei community special status as a scheduled tribe. Protests and tensions escalated ultimately leading the central government to send reinforcements to quell the violence. Over the last month, however, there have been reports of continued widespread displacement across the state, loss of life, and the targeted destruction of religious property. Before we jump into today's discussion, it's important to recognize that religious freedom in India has been declining over recent years, despite the country's growing presence on the international stage. Since 2019, USERF has recommended the State Department designate India as a country of particular concern, or CPC, for systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. In particular, the Indian government has demonstrated a willingness to promote and enforce discriminatory laws and practices that negatively impact the country's minority Muslim, Christian, Sikh, and Adivasi populations. We're joined today by Seema Hassan, USERF South Asia Policy Analyst to provide a deeper understanding of the conflict. Seema, welcome to USERF Spotlight. Thanks for having me, Jamie. To start the discussion and for broader context, could you give us just a quick overview of some of the major religious freedom issues facing India as a whole? Sure. So as you've already mentioned, India is a really important country when considering international religious freedom. It's a multi-religious country with a Hindu majority and several religious minorities, including Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, and others. And even though India's constitution establishes the country as a secular nation, granting individuals freedom of conscience, in recent years, the Indian government has actively supported very counterproductive policies. These include the use of anti-conversion laws across 12 of India's 28 states as well as cow slaughter laws and the introduction of the Citizen Amendment Act, which provides citizens citizenship to non-Muslim migrants from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. All of these policies combined have created a climate of impunity across India with vigilante mobs often at times violently targeting minority religious individuals and communities. And so as a result, over the last several years now, There have been increased attacks against religious minorities, and most recently, the violence that we're seeing in Manipur. Thanks so much for that context. I mean, so with that, could you provide us with a bit of background on Manipur and what is taking place there currently? 
Manipur is located in northeastern India, and it's a valley surrounded by mountains bordering Myanmar. And very similar to Kashmir, Manipur was once a princely state under British rule, but was incorporated into India in 1949. Today, it's home to nearly 3 million people, and it's composed of 39 different ethnic groups, all of different faiths, including Muslims, Christians, and Hindus, as well as other indigenous tribes. But of these tribes, there are three that primarily stand out. And there are the Métis, which constitute the majority, so just over 50%. Um, and the other majority, making approximately 40% of the population, are the Kuki and the Naga. The Métis are predominantly Hindu, but there are also some Christians as well, um, whereas the Kuki are a majority Christian, as are the Naga. Ethnic Muslims also constitute roughly 8% of the population. And as we've already mentioned, the most recent clashes have been between the Métis Hindu and the Kuki Christian populations. What makes this most recent situation an issue of religious freedom is the direct target targeting of one particular religious group, including their religious symbols, their places of worship and refuge. During and prior to these clashes, the, the tribal Christian communities and their places of worship have actively been targeted as well. Um, to date, more than 250 churches of different denominations have been either burned or damaged across the state in recent months. And in response to the violence, India's Supreme Court in May issued an order for the protection of displaced persons and the religious places of worship. Something that's also important to note relevant to the ongoing conflict is that the region has also experienced several conflicting claims to communal homelands, which has also led to the existence of several armed groups. And this is important because some of the armed groups reportedly back candidates in state elections, including members of the uh, Bharatiya Janta Party or BJP. And in the lead up to the most recent wave of violence, there have been three sets of relevant and important legal actions taken. The first was the eviction of parts of Impal, the capital where certain businesses and churches were removed by court order in April. The second was the eviction of the Kuki people from the forest area of Manipur and subsequent protests that ensued. And the third important legal action and most recent um, was a court order regarding the status of scheduled tribe designations for the Métis. Yeah, thanks so much for that background. It's really helpful to kind of get the context and understand what's happening there. So given that these various groups have been settled in Manipur for several decades, what sparked the most recent wave of violence? As you mentioned, violence broke out on May 3rd after the Manipur High Court asked the state government to consider granting scheduled tribe status to the Métis people. And this is an important decision because the status would allow the Métis certain protections under the Indian constitution. Um, most specifically, this would allow them to buy land in the hills and would provide them with a certain quota for government jobs. The Métis have long requested this status from the government and initially filed a petition 10 years ago. But there have been major concerns that granting them the status would strengthen ethnic tensions specifically with the Kuki and the Naga tribes who are currently 
recognized as scheduled tribes. The minority community leaders of both the Kuki and the Naga tribes also claim that the Métis community is relatively well off and purport that granting them this special status would be unfair. Uh, specifically, the Kuki's fear that granting Métis this new status would result in their removal from their protected area. It's also important to note here that the Métis community already hold a number of positions within the state government and largely live in a more developed part of Manipur. But in May, Manipur's High Court issued a ruling giving the government four weeks to recommend a plan on whether or not to grant the Métis this special status. And in response, protests were immediately organized by the All Tribe Student Union, which is composed mostly of Kukis. Violence also broke out the same day and eventually reached an extraordinary level with individuals, primarily Métis Hindu groups, setting fire to homes, Kuki churches, uh, as well as other temples in the, in the area. And in an attempt to restore order, because the violence escalated so quickly, the Indian army also sent as many as 10,000 troops and were issued shoot on site orders for what they deem extreme cases. To give a little bit more insight, reports have currently described the state of Manipur as a war zone. To date, there are an estimated 35,000 people. Um, some reports are saying as many as 50,000 who've been displaced from the state so far, with many living in makeshift camps or army camps. Uh, an estimated over 100 people have lost their lives to date, both Kukis and Métis. And on the first day of the clashes, over a dozen churches were burned or damaged. In fact, one eyewitness account noted that a church was one of the very first targets. So, I mean, it's clear that there's several factors at play here, including caste and land disputes. And it's also clear that there is a religious element to the current unrest. Could you speak just a little bit more on how this recent violence fits into the wider context of religious freedom issues in India? So there have been a number of churches attacked and damaged, obviously within this recent conflict, as many as 250, as I just stated. But taking a step back from this current situation, the persecution of Christians in India is not new. Um, in February of this year as well, there were widespread reports of Christian communities being targeted in Chhattisgarh, also located in eastern India. And during that incident, Hindu groups were reportedly angered by the spread of Christianity and began a wave of violence, um, initially by attacking a Catholic church and demanding individuals leave Christianity. Eventually, 100 villages were impacted in that wave of violence. Um, and it's also important to note that in that case, Christians were the minority group, making up only 1.9% of the population in Chhattisgarh. Um, but in addition to violence against Christian communities, we've also seen increased attacks against the country's Muslim population as well, especially in the lead up to elections. And so what factors have contributed to the continued unrest and what has been the state response to that? And I guess in addition to that, how has the international community responded to what's taking place? 
With respect to state intervention or state response, it's important to note here that Manipur is a BJP-ruled state. It, that's noteworthy because at one point, the state chief minister and Baron Singh previously noted um, and stoked tensions by labeling cookies as what he considered poppy cultivators um, and also described them as militants. Modi, Prime Minister Modi has also yet to publicly comment on the recent uh, situation. It's also worth noting that immediately following the violence, as I said, the Indian army transported nearly 10,000 troops to Manipur. In addition, internet service was also suspended in the state. And this has been a tactic that has been increasingly commonly used by the Indian government. We saw this in the case of Punjab several months ago, as well as in Kashmir. Indian Home Minister Amit Shah also visited Manipur on May 30th in an attempt to broker a peace negotiation between the different groups. And this has been somewhat of a failed pursuit. More recently, this month, New Delhi also set up a committee to facilitate peace talks, but this hasn't received much traction either. To date, tens of thousands of individuals still remain displaced and have fled to neighboring regions, or as I've said, have been set up in army camps. Um, but these camps have been described as having poor sanitation, not enough resources or supplies. Yeah, thanks so much for explaining that. And so in closing, with Prime Minister Modi's state visit to the White House, how should the Biden administration address these serious human rights abuses in India while keeping in mind all the important ways that the United States and India must work together? The U.S.-India relationship is a very important one for a number of reasons. It's also very important to recognize that India is seen as the world's largest democracy. And part of having that title comes with upholding certain democratic values and norms. And so Prime Minister Modi's upcoming visit presents a very unique opportunity, I think, to raise issues of religious freedom and human rights abuses. During his visit, the Biden administration should really emphasize the importance of India's commitment to upholding these democratic values. And we'll have to end there, but thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us and for, for providing that summary of current events in India. Um, for more information on religious freedom in India, you can find this year's annual report chapter and other publications related to India's religious freedom violations on our website at usurf.gov. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Usurf Spotlight.